If you're new with us, this is completely different from what we normally do this month. You have text in your questions, and we have been answering them on Sunday. And so today we have a few more questions that we are going to address. In addressing the questions, here are the ground rules. For questions where the Bible speaks directly to that question, we're going to go directly to the Bible. God's Word is the final authority. So it doesn't matter what you think or what I think. We're going to look to God's Word, and He has the final say. On questions where the Bible doesn't speak directly to a question, we're going to look to the Bible for principles that can apply to give us an answer to those questions. And maybe there's a question where the Bible doesn't speak directly, even principles don't speak clearly to it, then I will give you my opinion, which you are totally cool to disagree with with me, except for two things, okay? One, we have to agree on the essentials. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus came to earth. He died on a cross. Three days later, He rose from the dead. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And two, that when we disagree, we disagree in love. Okay? If I give you my opinion and we find out that you're right and I'm wrong, but you don't disagree with me in love, then you're wrong. Okay? So if I give you my opinion and you disagree, please don't go talking smack about me in the hallways or anything like that again. Let's disagree and love as we attack these questions. First question, some of you wanted to know how far is too far in a dating relationship? In reference to a dating relationship, how far is too far? And the Bible doesn't speak directly to this. The Bible does not say, thou shalt not make out or cop a feel. Like you're just not you're not going to find that anywhere in the Bible, or thou shalt not kiss, or you can kiss at this point. I mean, you, you just don't find those kinds of scriptures. But I believe we can look to some principles from the Bible to help us answer this question. Our first scripture is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. The Bible says marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually Immoral. And I want to focus on that first phrase there, marriage should be honored by all. What that means is marriage should not only be honored by a husband and a wife, but it should be honored by singles and those dating. Marriage should be honored by everyone. With that being the case, I think when, when it comes to a relationship and how far is too far, you really have to look through the lens of, does this relationship and what I'm doing in this relationship honor my future husband or my future wife? Does it honor marriage? Okay, and so let, let's look to a marriage to maybe clarify some of that, okay? I've been married for seven wonderful years to my wife, Jamie. And if you were to ask Jamie, okay, hey, is it appropriate in your guys' marriage for Chris to hold hands with another girl? Jamie would be like, yeah, that's cool. No, I'm just playing. She wouldn't say that. And she would not. She'd be like, uh, no. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, what, what about if he kisses another girl. You know, it's just a kiss. You know what I mean? Kissing is not the, you know, everybody kisses. You know, just a kiss. And I guarantee you, again, my wife would be like, uh-uh. It's not happening. Or how about this? In, in your guys' marriage, is it okay if Chris uh, sleeps over at another girl's house? It's just a sleepover. You know what I mean? Get your sleeping bags, video games, pop some popcorn, watch some movies. No, it's no big deal. Just a big sleepover. Again, my wife would give a resounding No, those things are not appropriate for our marriage. And so again, I think we have to look through the lens then, then are those things appropriate for a dating relationship? Because again, marriage should be honored by all. You want to honor your future husband or your your future wife. 
And again, on some of those things, you may be thinking, well, come on, Pastor, that's unrealistic. Like, look, I understand I shouldn't, you know, test drive the car before I get married. But, you know, I might want to sit in it, you know, make sure the windows work, go up and down. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you got to have a little bit of interaction. And, and, and here's the deal. If you don't marry that person, okay, that means you're going to marry someone else. And the person you're going to marry, you want somebody sitting in their car? Rolling down their windows, playing with the buttons. I'm just saying, probably not. The marriage should be honored by all. Okay, so again, I think we use that to answer that question. And and let me clarify a few things, though, because I know some of you, you may be in a relationship with somebody that you believe is going to be your future husband and your future wife. And so let me clarify a few things here for, again, on, on how far is too far. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13 the Bible says, but among you there must, not, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Let me just clarify here. Getting hot and heavy, making out, rubbing, touching, grabbing, feeling, sexual immorality. Okay, it is not, not even a hint of it. There, there, is a, there is a lot of it there, okay? Trying to find some sexual healing, that is sexual immorality, okay? Sexual, that is a sin, all right? And, and here's the deal, again, with, with how far is too far, you got to be careful when you start to get physical in a relationship, you know what I mean? If, if you're holding hands or whatever, because here's the deal, all right, once you start to get physical, all right, it, it can open the door to temptation. It can be like Pringles, once you pop, you don't want to stop. You know what I mean? I mean, they, they can give you that kind of temptation. And so you, you got to be careful. Again, you may be thinking, well, man, is that, can I not even hold hands or, or kiss? Hey, for some people, kissing and holding hands is too far. It's too far. What, what's going on in your mind? How are you being stimulated? Is there a hint of sexual immorality? Does it honor marriage? Does it honor your future husband or wife? And, and so, again, I believe that's the lens that, that we should look for. And so I would challenge you to do whatever it takes to honor marriage. Do whatever it takes to honor marriage. All right? Date with your future marriage in mind. Set all the proper boundaries that you need so that you will honor marriage. Because here's the deal. If you don't marry the person, if you, if you don't marry the person that you're dating, they're going to be someone, most likely they're going to be someone else's spouse. Okay? So I encourage you to honor their future marriage and honor yours as well. All right? Up next, Pastor Herbert is going to answer a question about plastic surgery. Plastic surgery. I want to answer the question, is it okay to have plastic surgery? Let me begin with a story. There was an elderly lady, and she went to a church service, and... Someone came up to her and gave her what we would call a word from the Lord. And they said to her, to her the, the Lord says that you're going to live another 30 years. And boy, she got so excited and she left the church service and said, thank you, Jesus. And she said, since I'm going to live longer, I might as well look good. And so she went and got some plastic surgery, got a little tummy tuck and some other things done to her body. And two days later, after her surgery, she got in a car wreck and she died. And she got to heaven and she said, God, I thought you said I was going to live another 30 years. And God said, oh, I didn't recognize you. 
<laughs> you know that's funny. You know that's funny. Okay, okay, that, that's just a little, little humor. Let, let, let's, let's tackle the subject of plastic surgery. Well, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about plastic surgery. It doesn't say anything specifically towards this, this topic. So I'm going to give you some principles today. There, there, there are some Christians that say any type of body altering is always wrong. And, and, I, and I disagree with that stance because if you say that, then you better not get braces. You better not get your ears pierced. You better not get hair plant, implants. You better not get weave. Might have made some people mad right there. How huh? we? Yes, right. We thank you, Jesus. We bet you bet. If you can't do any body altercation, you better not get any of those things. And and you sure better not get a nose job or liposuction or a facelift or a butt lift or lip enlargement or or Botox where you always look happy. <laughs> okay, I'm just, I'm just messing with you. Could could help it there. Here, here, here what? I, I believe sometimes it's right to have body-altering surgery, and I believe that sometimes it is wrong to have body-altering surgery. Here's here's when I think it would be wrong to have body-altering surgery. The first one is this. When you're trying to find your self-worth in your appearance rather than who you are, in Christ. If you feel like you have to alter your image to feel good about yourself, to feel beautiful, to have self-worth, to make you feel special, you need to get in God's word and discover who you are in Jesus Christ. Listen, who you are on the inside matters a whole lot more than what you look like on the outside. The bottom line is this. I want you to hear me closely, especially our ladies in the house today. The bottom line is you're special, just like you are, just how you look. You're beautiful. You're special. No matter what Hollywood says, no matter what a commercial says, you are special and beautiful. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 139 and verse 14, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made after I get a nose job. Uh Uh-uh. Just how you are. Just how God made you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. It's, it's, it's wrong to, to, to alter your body to, find, to, try, to try to find your self-worth and make yourself feel special or beautiful because you need to know who you are in Jesus Christ, and you're special just like you are. I think there would be a second time to alter your, your, your body, and that would be this. It would be wrong to alter your body to at- attract any inappropriate attention to yourself. Well, one question I got that was sent in, to, 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 to texted in, was this. Pastor, if I got it, can't I flaunt it? No! Just because you got it does not mean you can't flaunt it. Girl, put some clothes on. Come on, cover yourself up. Help the brothers out. We're trying to live for Jesus. We're trying to be pure. Just because you got it does not mean you should flaunt it. Matter of fact, the Bible lets us know in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 9, it says that we should dress modestly. Can I tell you that you are in sin when you put on clothes for the sole purpose to 
attract and make people lust after your body. You are wrong, and that is not honoring your heavenly Father. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 30, charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting. You see, no matter what type of altercation you get, can I tell you, time and gravity has a way of catching up anyways. <laughs> it says beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Listen, listen, ladies, you don't want a man who just wants you for your body. That, that's just trouble. Don't, you, you don't want that kind of man anyways. C cover yourself up. Honor God with the way that you dress. And can I say to the fellows in the house, you don't want a lady who, who, who just wants to show her body off to you and attract you to her. Can I tell you, charm is, is, is fleeting. It's, it's going to go away. You want a woman, as the Bible says, who fears the Lord. And I think it's wrong to alter your body to draw inappropriate attention to yourself. You say, well, well, well Pastor, when do you think it's right? When, 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 when do you think it's right? Well, well, I would say this. I think it would be right if you are restoring an area of your body that has been, born, has been burned or deformed in, in some way. Uh, I, I think that would be a... I mean, uh, an acceptable reason. I think all of us would agree. Somebody gets burned and, and then they, they get skin done or get some things done. I think that's totally acceptable. Or even for medical reasons. Maybe, maybe you had a double mastectomy and, and you want to put back what was there. Maybe, maybe due to, to size and you, the issues you're having. And, and the doctor says if you have this surgery and have a reduction, it's going to help your back and help your, your quality of life. I, I believe that would be okay in honoring the Lord. A second time I believe it would be right is if you make a prayerful decision with those who love God and who love you. Because here's what I know about our Heavenly Father. God looks at the heart. He looks at our motives. God's concerned about not just what we do, but more importantly, why we do it. First Chronicles chapter 28 and verse number 9 says, For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. I think the bigger question is this, why do you want to alter your body image? What's the motives? That's what I think about plastic surgery. Let's tackle the subject of cremation. Several of you asked about cremation. Is it okay to be cremated? And, and the Bible doesn't answer this question specifically. So, so let me give you a principle from Scripture that will shed some light on this subject. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And so if you're not cremated and you just get buried eight feet under the ground, your body will eventually return to dust. And so I don't see anything biblically wrong with being cremated. You're just, you're just going to become dust a lot quicker. I mean, that, that's what I see. Matter of fact, let me, let me just take it a step further. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 42, it says, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. When, when followers of Jesus Christ are resurrected from the dead to spend eternity with the Lord, it says the body that is sown perishable, it will be raised imperishable. In other words, you're going to have a different body. 
body than the one you're living in right now. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body body. So if you're wondering about the resurrection and if you get cremated, well, the Bible says you're going to have a different body anyway. So I don't see anything wrong with someone who wants to be cremated. Let's tackle another subject. This was actually a very popular topic that was sent in. Many of you had questions about tithing and you wanted to know uh, about tithing and what it is and and things of that nature. So so let's quickly look at, at the subject of tithing. What is the difference between a tithe and an offering? Let's look at Malachi chapter 3, verse number 8. It says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You see, there's a, there is a distinction. Some people just think, hey, if I just give to the Lord, it's, just, it's all the same thing. No, there, there's a distinction. A tithe, the word tithe literally means a tenth, a tenth. So returning the tithe, and the Bible says that the tithe belongs to the Lord. It is holy. It's 10% of our income that we return to the Lord. Now, an offering is what we give over and above the tithe. Like, for instance, my wife and I, we, 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 we are faithful to tithe to the Lord, and we give above our tithe. An offering would be what we give to the Dream Campaign for, for Midwest City. An offering would be the, the 10 school supply bags that my wife and I got to, to, to be able to bless the, the 2,000 students that we're providing school supplies for. An offering would be the missionaries that we support on a monthly basis. That th- those are offerings And that is what we give above the tithe. And it goes on to say this, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, in verse 9, because you are robbing me. It says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And and some of you ask the question, do I have to return the tithe to the church? And the answer from Scripture would be, yes, you return the tithe to the storehouse where you're being fed where you worship it, where you attend church regularly. That's where the tithe goes. Say, Pastor, why does the tithe go to the storehouse? Well, that would be in today's world, the church where you worship at. Well, here's why. Because the Bible says this, that there may be food in my house. God wants food in his house, just like you want food in your house. God wants food in his house so that lives can be changed and ministry can, be, can happen. You see, the church is the hope of the world, and God wants his church resourced so that the gospel can go out and lives can continue to be changed. He goes on to say, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Some of you wanted to know, do I tithe off the gross or the net? Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 3 and verse 9, honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best your barns will burst with wine and vats, and wine vats will brim over the first and the best. I believe you always pay God first. Matter of fact, whatever you put first in your life is your God. And so I believe you pay God before you pay the government. You pay God even if the government pulls it out first. They didn't start doing that back into the early 1900s. Before the early 1900s, everybody, didn't, nobody asked that question. They, they, they returned the tithe to the Lord. And so the issue is this. Are you going to put God first? Are you going to put the power company first? 
or are you going to put the television company first? Are you going to put the government first? I believe we give God our first and our best. Some ask, Pastor, do I tithe if I'm on a fixed income? And my response would simply be this from a biblical response would be tithing is never about how little you make or how much you make. Tithing is always about your priorities. It's always about who's first in your life. It's always about I'm going to honor God. I'm going to trust God no matter how much or with how little. God is my source. I trust him and I honor him. The wrong question is not how much or how little. It's will God be the top priority in my life? Some ask, Pastor, can, can you tithe in other areas of your life? Well, I would say this to you, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And the way that I interpreted that question was, Pastor, can I not tithe financially and make it up by tithing in other areas of my life? Well, the Bible says that we need to seek God first. And we want to seek God first in every area of our life, not just with our time or actions or with our talents, but also with our financial life. The last question that I want to address that that many asked was, why do bad things happen to good people? And I realize that some of you are going through bad times in your life. And I want to say this right up front. I do not have a perfect answer for you today. I do not have a complete answer for you because I'm not God. And the only one that can give you a complete answer on this issue would be God himself. But I do want to give you a biblical perspective on this subject. The first thing that I want you to understand is no one, no one on this planet, including Christians, have been promised a life without trouble. Sometimes in Christian circles, there's this thinking that, that if, you, if you really love God, if you really serve God wholeheartedly, you won't go through trouble. But, but that's not scriptural. It says in John chapter 16 and verse 33, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. You will have trouble trouble. You read the Bible. Biblical characters had trouble. John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus, he was beheaded in prison. The apostle Paul, who loved God and wrote the majority of the New Testament, he was beaten and stoned to death, a stone and left for for, for dead on several occasions. He was in prison because of his faith. Jesus Christ, who did nothing wrong, was hung on a cross and died for our sins. We all experience bad things no matter who we are. There's a second way that I would respond to why bad things happen to good people, and that is because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and because of their sin, sin and pain and hurt and earthquakes and tornadoes entered our world. We live in a world that is stained and corrupted by sin. And because of sin, bad things happen to all of us. I will respond to a, another question, or another insight on why bad things happen to good people. And that is this. There are times when God will allow challenging things to happen in your life to develop your faith. James says in James 1, verse number 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. 
Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And sometimes God allows challenges to come into our life so that he can develop our faith. There's a fourth reason, uh, perspective I want to give you on this, and that is we have a spiritual enemy who attacks all of us. The Bible says this about Satan. It says, John 10 and verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I want to remind all of you that there is a spiritual enemy called Satan, and his only mission is to steal from you, to try to kill, and try to destroy you. There's a fifth a fifth perspective, and that is this, God created us with a free will. That, that's why bad things happen to good people. God created us with a free will, and we can choose to love God, or we can choose to reject God. We can choose to do the right thing, or we can choose to do the wrong thing. And whether we choose to do the right thing or the wrong thing, it affects us and it affects other people. The last thing I will share with you is this about why do bad things happen to good people, and I think that's just not a very good question at all. (laughs) I don't think that's a good question because none of us are good. Romans chapter 3 and verse 12 says, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. You see, in the eyes of God, none of us are good people. We all fall short of God's standards. In the eyes of God, our best attempt at righteousness is like filthy rags, the Bible says. You see, bad things do not happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad and sinful people. The better question is, why do good things happen to bad people. And can I tell you, that's what the gospel is all about. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. I thank God that he's not fair. Matter of fact, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. I'm grateful that God allows good things to happen to bad, sinful, jacked up, messed up people. We all deserve hell, but thank God for Jesus, the only son of God who died on the cross and rose again on the third day that we can have eternal life. The better question is, why do Good things happen to bad people. Thank God for his grace. Amen. All right. Our next question is, does the Bible mention dinosaurs? Some debate on this. Some believe it does. Some believe it doesn't. For those that believe it does, they would refer to some of these References In the Bible, there is a Hebrew word, tenion, which is translated into sea monster, dragon, serpent, or some sort of giant 
reptile. It's mentioned, this word's mentioned 28 times in the Old Testament. In Job 40, chapter 40, there's a creature called behemoth. And then in Psalm chapter 104 and Isaiah 27, there is a creature called Leviathan. All right, and if you'd want to do some research and look into it some more, I encourage you to Google creation science. And that's all I got to say on that. All right. So personally, I believe they are referencing the dinosaurs, but just my opinion. You can disagree with me. Just don't talk bad about me. All right. Next question. Should I date? A non-Christian. Some of you wanted to know, should I date a non-question? And I believe the Bible does speak to this directly. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. The Bible says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Again, it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. And I believe as we look at a relationship of somebody being yoked together, that would apply to a dating relationship. If you don't know what a yoke is, it's basically imagine two ox standing side by side. They're getting ready to, 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 to plow. Okay, And what they do is they put a yoke on top of them. It's like a, a fixture that goes over both of their necks so that they are pulling the plow at the same time, okay? And if you have a really big ox and you have a really small ox, all the weight, all the, all the, the force is going to come down on that really big ox. He's going to be pulling all of the weight. They're not going to be pulling the same amount of weight. And, and that's how this scripture can apply to dating. If you're a Christian and you're dating a non-Christian, you're going to be pulling all the weight in the relationship spiritually. And really what's going to happen, it's going to weigh you down. You, you're not going to be able to pull all that weight. God didn't intend for you to pull all that weight. He intended for you to be yoked together with somebody that you're on the same spiritual level with, okay? We should not be yoked, if you're a Christian, you should not be yoked together with an, an unbeliever, okay? And here's some mistakes I see some Christians make. Some of them, they want to evangelize date, okay? They just meet somebody that's so awesome. They're like, look, I'm going to date them to win them to Jesus. You know what I mean? I'm going to date them, and that's going to win them to Christ, and that's not how God wants you to win them to Christ, okay? Because God says, do not be yoked together with an unbeliever. For some people, their mistake is their priorities are messed up. They just look at somebody and they're looking at looks, they're looking at personality. Are they funny? Are they stable? And again, all those things are important, but if you're a Christ follower, the very first quality you should look for is, is that individual a Christ follower? Do they love Jesus? Do you have the same convictions? Are you on the same spiritual level? And then the third mistake I see is some people just play dumb. Well, I think they're Christian. They told me they are. Well, they go to church. Just because you go to church and they go to church does not mean you are equally yoked. Does not mean that you are on the same spiritual level. Okay, so I believe we can take this scripture, we can apply it to this question. And again, for those dating, if you are a Christian, no, you should not date a non-Christian. That should be a deal breaker for you. Okay, last question that we are going to address. Some of you wanted to know. What is the truth in regards to creation and evolution? And, and there's a whole lot that can go into this, but I'm just going to hit on a few things, okay? And so first, let, let's look at creation. There, there are some people that believe in, in old earth, okay? And what that means is they believe the earth is about 4.5 to 4.6 billion years old because they believe when God created the earth that he didn't create it in, the literal, in a literal 24-hour day, that God doesn't operate on the same wavelength as us when it comes to time. He doesn't operate like minutes and hours the way we operate. And so there could have been 
millions or thousands of years that, that were taking place in between the, the creation of everything. Okay? Then you have some scientists and Christians that believe young earth. Okay? And they believe the earth is about 6,000 to 10,000 years old because they believe that the, the earth was created in, in literal 24-hour days. As God was creating the earth, the land, the sea, that it happened the way we understand time in those 24 hours a day. And so again, you got both. You got some scientists that believe old earth, some scientists believe young earth, some Christians that believe old earth, some Christians that believe young earth. Okay? So who's right? Let's look to the scripture. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Honestly, I'm not 100% sure either way. What I do know for sure is God created everything. That's what I know. God created. There was no bang. I mean, there was no just appeared out of nowhere. God created everything. And that is the one thing that I know what 100% for sure from the Scripture. Okay? As far as evolution, here's a big question we get on this topic. Did man evolve from monkeys? Well, let's look to the Scripture. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 27. It says, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. According to Scripture, we did not evolve from Curious George. Okay, God didn't make... A monkey and we have God created man in his image. He created man. He created woman. And, and here's what I want to point out to you about this too. And again, I, I believe the, the Bible is just very clear on that issue. Is that not only did God create us, but he created us with purpose. The Bible says we are, we, are, we, are, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That we are not a mistake. That we have a purpose and a plan on this earth. Jeremiah 29, 11 the Bible says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Maybe you're in here and you feel hopeless. Look to Jesus. Look to the Lord. He created you with purpose. You were not put on this earth to just wander around aimlessly. You, you are not a mistake. You are a child of God. And he loves you. And as you seek him and as you get close to him, he's going to reveal that plan. He's going to reveal that purpose for your life. And there's nothing greater than, than figuring that out and living that. And so I'd encourage you to seek that out every day.